I always like that analogy, you take care of yourself, but so you can take care of others around you. And I think of leaders of business today, I think we should be switching from being a leader of a business to a coach of a business. I don't have all the answers. The only way I get them is from learning from the people around me. I've got a team that know a lot more than I do. And the moment I create a perception that I know more than them, I'm done. Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to another episode of the Performance Intelligence Podcast. This episode is a repositioned interview that Anna Marenkovic from NAB Business Bank and I had the opportunity to do together. Many top tennis players say today's guest has made the Australian Open the best run Grand Slam in the world. I was there last year and I largely agree. Players believe this due to two reasons. Number one, the challenges he has brought in. And number two, the atmosphere and the sense of belonging he has created. Craig Tiley is the CEO of Tennis Australia and director of the Australian Open. He's father to Marlow and twin boys, Archer and Weston. He's a former tennis player and coach with a large, it's a long, long list of achievements. And he's regularly got a tennis racket in his hand most weeks. Researching him, he does so much for the community, I didn't even realise. Craig Tiley, welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. It's great to be joining you, and I think this is a fantastic initiative. We're asking a lot of our guests, Craig, how are you starting your day? What are you doing to get your body and your brain into peak shape to run Tennis Australia? Well, I'm a big believer in fresh air. So uh, the first thing in the morning, three times a day is with routine. Uh, So I take the kids. It's just basically a walk around the block, and I've got young kids. uh, My twin boys are six, six years old, and so... So we just get outside, get some fresh air, and um, and then start the day, and then do the same over the lunch break, and then do the same at the end of the day, and just making sure that you get uh, exercise, activity, even if it's walking or it's light jog, whatever it may be, but and taking in the fresh air because that's keeps your mind active and keeps you going. Mm, absolutely. And speaking of change, you've moved from coaching on the side of the court to now an administrative role. Do you still play tennis? Like, is it still part of your routine to get the racket and a couple of balls and head down to your local court? Love, yep, when I can. Uh, used to play a lot more. Obviously, I played every day for a long, long, long time. And now not as much. Now it's more just with the kids and friends and it's more a bit of a hit and giggle stuff. And uh, and it's, again, it's a nice form of, it's it's a magnificent sport. So those listening, if you haven't played it, give it a go because it's uh, you can play it your whole life. It's the it, If you look at all the virtues of different sports, tennis is one. Men and women, boys and girls, very easy. Singles or doubles, you can play with someone or by yourself. Exercise or no exercise, because you just decide how much you want to run. And you play it your whole life, and it's non-contact. And uh, it's a perfect sport for COVID because you naturally physically distance. So uh, so that's why we've seen a, a couple of hundred percent point increases in the participation in our sport during this period. So we've been very lucky along those ways. So I do love the sport. I don't know anything else in the world other than tennis. So if you ask me any questions outside of it, I think I'm going to be, be challenged. Well, your passion shines through. And uh, in researching uh, about you as well, some of the other passion uh, that shines through with you coming from South Africa, you know, from a, a family that's uh, very supportive around your progression and then moving forward. Um, you're very passionate about study. Obviously, you moved to America. You studied kinesiology, which is really interesting. So studied the body and how that works. Um, but you're also passionate about connection. We all have what is now called a digital footprint. And this is becoming increasingly important for for CEOs, for business leaders, for entrepreneurs, and especially athletes. Even in interviews now, people will go and look at a digital footprint to see what 
people are doing in community, how they're connecting. And, and also there's been lots of cases where people have said stuff five, ten years ago that has come to haunt them. Now, there's nothing like this in your archive, but looking at your digital footprint, especially on Twitter, Anna and I were talking about this before we started the interview. You regularly wish people a happy birthday. You regularly wish people messages, and, and it's around anniversaries. So do you have some sort of system, or is there a spreadsheet, or do you just have this ridiculous memory recall on birthdays and events and, and stuff that's happened in the past? Yeah, well, birthdays and names, and uh, you know, one of the, and I think this is my, it's, it's, I've been lucky, I've, you know, I've, I've been, uh, I had a good grounding as a kid. It was a tough one, but it was it was really good, and and I spent some time in the military and I've lived in three different continents and I think I've become a global citizen very early in my life. But the one thing that I did learn on that journey is never lose the connection and get into other people's world. People don't come into your world unless you're willing to get into their world. And, and so I've always been adamant about learning people's names, learning about the people around them. I would practice it. I would, I would do a point of identification on someone that, you know, that person looks like a Jared or that person looks like a Sharon and, and, uh, and, and have, you know, physical points of, to help you remember names and birthdays and, and then make notes. And, and I, and even to this day, I still randomly contact three people a day. It's just a discipline I've had and uh, to on this connection, because I think it's critically important. It may be someone I haven't spoken to in a year and uh, have, I've done it. I've already finished today's three contacts and it's just, it can be one minute call. It can be, it's mostly just a call to connect. And uh, under this condition, it's been sometimes a bit of Zoom or Teams um, or sometimes just a, a drop an email. And, uh, and I've always, it's just the connection. You initiate the connection and in business and in life, it's that that becomes your community, and uh, and that community supports and helps you moving on. But you've got to work at it. It's not mm. easy. I, we are recognised as the players' favourite event, and uh, and we've grown to where we were the fourth cousin of all the major tennis events in the world, and now now we're the the first, and um, in many aspects of it. But I think we've done that by the personal touch, and our business has grown through that personal touch. I love hearing that because you run one of the world's biggest events and to still have that discipline, it is a discipline, right, to do that every single day because I'm sure there's days where you get tired and I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, oh, I just get so busy sometimes. But you, you just have built that in every day, no matter how busy you are, it's become a real discipline. Yeah, it's, it's priority. I mean, if you have a priority of brushing your teeth or having breakfast, that's priority, feeding yourself. It's just where you put your priority list and, and that just is on the top of my priority list. And I think it's it's one of those things you don't immediately see the impact, but over time I can tell you that I've got now much more behind me than I've got in front. Uh, when you're over 50 years old, that seems to happen. You kind of reach that halfway mark. And I like to think it's halfway mark. Some people think it's a three-quarter way mark. But um, oh, I, I think it's not even got, half. I, I, I've, <laughs> I've said this before on this podcast. I want to get to 130. But I think just having – is always looking forward and and then using what you have had behind. And and, and the a discipline is creating the priorities. When you're running – I used to run a small business, and I ran a small business for about 17 years. And, and I think that's grounded me very well for now that I'm in a corporation where I get paid a salary – um, unlike previously when I was running my small business, I had to work every single day. When I woke up, I only made money when I worked. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a whole different learning. And I think the appreciation of running a small business, the small business owners are the leaders because the appreciation of running a small business and the pressure and the stress is far greater than having working in the corporate world and having, having a job and far more difficult. And, uh, and so the one thing I did learn in that environment was priority. So if I didn't have the right priorities uh, each day, then I wasn't surviving. 
I have um, 1,500 people in my team supporting um, some half a million businesses across Australia to sustain themselves. Now, tennis um, is a huge industry and globally as well as in Australia, but it also has some roots um, in small business. Can you give us an insight into the extent and reach of small business within the tennis industry, especially from that vendor uh, perspective and and the businesses that actually support this great event. Yeah. So, well, we can start with our coaching cohort. Every coach in Australia runs a small business. They lease courts across the country. There's 2,500 clubs, 17,000 tennis courts, 4,500 coaches that are independent contractors running a small business. Um, they're actually independent contractors, but basically they're running their business. You know, they, they're providing a coaching service, sometimes a competition service, sometimes they, um, you know, there's, there's a retail service as well. So, so many of them, the bigger, the bigger small businesses have, have, you know, one-stop shop for all sorts of services and, and do really well. And there's different models in Queensland, you have a very, very private model and, and there's, uh, and there's more of a community model in, in Victoria. Um, but besides that, if you take the Australian Open and, and, I, and, and sometimes people, you know, the size of the Australian Open, this event turns over $500 million a year, just the event in a period of, of really four weeks in Australia, the summer of tennis. Um, it is, um, it, and, and within that event, just in the, in the city of Melbourne, uh, we'll bring over $360 million of direct economic impact in 14 days. There's nothing that actually make, can make that comparison over that period of time anywhere in Australia. So that's why it is regarded. It is the largest annual Southern Hemisphere sporting event. It's the largest sporting event at that time of the year in January and one of the largest annual sporting events globally. In this environment, our entire premise of existence is going to be supporting local businesses. And in whatever field it is, it, it, it will either be in food, it will be in art, it will be in music. Uh, it'll be in all the suppliers and putting the event so that we as a business can invest in those local businesses providing that service. So, so it's interesting you asked that question because the first place we went from a brand point of view for the future was what can we do for, you know, for local businesses here, particularly where we can impact it here in Melbourne and Victoria particularly. The concept of future-proofing, we've all had a huge lesson on that in the last two and a half years. So if you didn't know what future-proofing was – you certainly do now. I, I believe it's the upskilling or up-resourcing to get yourself and or your business ready for the future. Those businesses that had built in future-proofing had allocated some time, some energy, and some real attention and focus to get ready for changes in the market, to get ready if their business was really disrupted. And looking at Tennis Australia, I'm really curious on the steps that you took to future-proof the business because you adapted really quickly and through COVID, you've actually accelerated the connection you have with the community. It looks like you've accelerated that digital presence and rollout and production. And it also looks like you really had everyone up to speed really, really quickly. So yeah, I'd love to know what had you done to future-proof Tennis Australia before you went into lockdown? Yeah, and that's a great question. So and the reason why it is, is because it's, it's changed for everything. One thing I've learned during this period, there's no expert on the pandemic because none of us have lived through a pandemic. None of us were managing a business in, in 1918. So, so it's new for everyone. And I think that the most important thing is, and I'll say this up front, is attitude. 
And if you have the attitude as a business leader, as I do as a business leader, the first thing I want to do is learn. I want to learn from what's everyone doing? What's working in the, in the world globally? What's working in the, the local business next to me? What's working in other events? So just be a sponge for knowledge and a sponge for learning. And I'm not going to tell people how to do things because I don't have an authority. I'm not a medical expert or I haven't lived a pandemic before. So every day is different for us and for me. So that's the first approach I take. But then secondly, our business will be impacted. Our revenues will be halved. The reason why we're going to survive is the, is the decisions we made earlier. Six years ago, we made a decision that, or eight years ago now, that every single month we were going to put away a little bit of money, which was going to be in a reserve. And it's a cash reserve. We weren't going to try and be greedy and, and put it in the, in the market and make more money on it. But a, but a, but a, a low-risk investment portfolio primarily in bonds, but a cash reserve that we build up each week and each month that when we ever hit a crisis, we can survive. And at the same time, we'll invest in insurance and the insurance will protect us in case anything happens. Those decisions eight years ago, which were criticized then because there was a cost to the business to do that because we were running a small margin. So we had to take some of that margin for that cost, but it was a foresight cost. And now we're enjoying that benefit today. And then the, so, so the attitude's the first, the planning is the second, but it's hard to plan now because if you're in it, now you're living it. So what do you do when you're, in it, when you're living it? And then the approach that we've taken is what are our priorities? So there's three priorities. The first one was save jobs. The most important thing at the end of this is keep the IP in the business, save jobs, do whatever you can to save jobs, job keeper, anything else, you know, deferrals, uh, keeping a job with no payment, whatever it may be. That's been our first objective. And that's why you see as an organization, we haven't experienced what everyone else has on, on, on the loss of jobs. A second objective is the business viability. So what decisions do I need to make to make sure I've got enough cash? Because it's a cash game now. It's not, you know, it's like how much cash do I have tomorrow just to keep myself going, doors open, what are my plans? And this is where you pivot as a business. So we immediately diversified, uh, you know, and, and what, what were our digital options and, uh, you know, we now offer a digital coaching service. You can now book a court digitally. You can get a court anywhere, anytime, pay online. Um, you, can, you can now, you can transact with us as it relates to other upcoming events digitally. Uh, we've created new services around health and well-being and, and uh, leadership advice and, and, uh, and just changing our business. We're, looking, we're working on a completely remote production studio. So there's no, not manned by people, but manned remotely. So, just, just pivoting the business. That's the viability. And then the third thing is decide what your values are. You know, mine is around the connectivity and the collaboration and make sure they're instilled in everything that you're doing every day. And your business survives. In my view, those three things. You have to sometimes get help because if you, if you can't trade and you've got, people are not buying what you do, how can you get them to buy? Can they buy on digital platforms? Can you provide partnerships with other organizations to, to, to bring some revenue in? And I'm not an expert in those small businesses. Those that are leading it are. But it's, this is a time for the creativity to fly. Oh, I've got a couple of questions on adversity and challenge. But before I do, Craig, have you got any comments on Anna's naming of her son Novak? Like, no, do you I think, think we may have been able to have a bit more influence from Tennis Australia? Like, surely oh. there could have been a Pat thrown in there, or a Nick, or a Leighton. <laughs> no, she perhaps? could have done that. Well, I've, I've got I've got animals called Serena and Roger and Rafa. So uh, <laughs> Leighton actually lives around the corner uh, yeah. from me. So yeah, we should have done. We should have gone with Leighton. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you should have gone with Leighton. No, no, Novak's Novak's a great champion of the Australian Open and uh, he's had a rough year with a lot of different things happened to him and decisions he's made but he's never done them with ill intent so um, but uh, yeah he's won our event a lot but uh, nice name 
So speaking of intent, talk us through, this wasn't on our running order, but let's go there. Uh, talk us through the naming of your animals. No, <laughs> no just, I love tennis. So, uh, I mean, I, um, I've known Roger Federer since he was 13, 14 years old. So I've been on a long journey with him and, and uh, Rafa is one of my favorite players as well. And uh, we're very lucky. We're living in an area where we've got some great tennis players. We happen to have the number one player in the world in Ash Barty in Australia. And we've got a great heritage. Um, you know, there's one point, there's 1.6 million people playing out the game of tennis and in Australia as a percentage of the population that's by far the highest of anywhere in the world. So, um, so that's why when I moved to Australia back in 2005 on a three-year contract, which has now been extended, but it's been, been a fun three-year contract is that, um, I, you know, I, I love the passion Australia has for sport and particularly for tennis. So that's why I continue to stay. So, uh, um, yeah, anything we can name a tennis player, we will. Love it. Love it. So one of the continuing themes in this podcast is overcoming adversity and challenge. And you mentioned you'd been asked some curly questions in your, your dial-ins, but can we zone in on that for the time being? And it may not be in tennis. It could be in your sporting life. It could be in your personal life. But can you share a challenging time with our audience that you've gone through and what did you do to overcome that and what did you learn from that? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. I think, well, my first challenging time was really a, a teenager when I made a decision to leave home and go and explore the world as a tennis player and try and make a living, uh, you know, 17, 18 years old. And, and uh, when, you, when you go from South Africa to Europe and, and, and the U.S. Um, without having traveled and you do it by yourself with no money and uh, then you've got to go from week to week, you just need to make enough money. So, I realized quickly that my physical prowess and, and technical one as a tennis player wasn't going to make it. So I had to work at night. So if you work in bars and pubs and wherever you can earn you know, $10 an hour, whatever it was, uh, to make it go- going. And I think the learnings very quickly I had during that period of adversity was, was at the end of the day, you are the, you're surviving by yourself. Uh, and, and, and the decisions you make are you know, for your survival. But I also learned that if you're able to form friendships and partnerships with the amazing number of people that would help you, and unless you ask for help, you don't get it. Mm. And uh, there's been 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 shy or 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 not, you know. Often people think they feel it is 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 too advanced to or or no, too, too forward thinking or is to go and ask someone you know, for some help. But uh, I think it's very brave to ask someone for help. And I, and I think it's, uh, it should be a normal thing to do. So I think I learned that early. And, but then from a physical point of view, my, my biggest adversity was the three years in the army uh, during, at a time when there was, was, was battle and conflict and, and having to l- learn survival in that environment. Um, and, uh, and that was my grounding for my future, because I think I'd been to, been to the edge of death a few times and and I think when you do experience that, you have a very quick found respect for life and for opportunity. And that's why I'm, a, I'm an activist and an advocate on, uh, on, on support for any minority group and, uh, and for any person that is disadvantaged in any way. I, uh, I will speak up and, 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 and not only that, take action. Uh, and I think that probably comes from that grounding. So I think if you have adversity, it's lucky. Uh, and it's not about the adversity you experience. It's about your response to it. And uh, a lot of people have had a lot more adversity than I have. So it's, uh, and I, you need to have a great deal of respect for that. 
And I was going to pick up on that, but you've mentioned it, or you've rounded it out beautifully, but the three years you had in the military. So, yeah. so listening to the messages weaved throughout this conversation, you said, number one, it's all about attitude and learning. And that's yeah. about planning. It's about values. It's about communication. So yeah. much of that, it sounds like you got from that military base. So when you're a young boy going into the military, you don't really think about a lot of those things or, or did you? Did you, were you always like focused on mindset and caring and connection? I didn't know. I, all I was worried about where I could uh, trade for a chocolate bar each week. So, uh, you know, the simple things matter in those times. But, uh, but I, I look, at, I, it, it's interesting when I look at my kids today, what kind of grounding am I going to give them, uh, you know, for the grounding that I had where I was very fortunate. I was thrown into those environments, not by choice, but, uh, and, I, and I came out of them. I didn't enjoy them at the time, but I came out of them far better. So, you know, what kind of, I think we've got some challenges with, with our youth. In, in the, in, in, and I remember my dad saying, that, oh, he sounds like an old man. And I probably now sound like an old person when I'm, when I'm making that comment. But, but I think we do have some challenges around uh, you know, physical activity. In tennis, for example, the biggest challenge we have in our business is the couch. We, our biggest competitor is the couch and the TV, not, not other sports because of the sedentary lifestyle kids can easily choose. So, so I think you know, just the, it's interesting. I, you, you get your grounding somewhere, and if you've got if you've got one or two parents or uh, someone that is, is aspirational to you as a kid, I think it's critically important. And then a support system uh, that is disciplined. And um, I'm a big believer in in, in discipline, and and uh, and I'm a big believer in in I think having adversity in your life because you learn from it. I, I agree totally. It was really refreshing hearing you say at the start that it is tough, but you look back at 1918 and I don't think yeah. many people were around back then. Yeah. And there was a big growth period after that. So it was really challenging. I think we sometimes get stuck, you know, thinking that other people haven't been through what we've been through. Martin yeah. Seligman talks about post-traumatic growth, that we get some right. of our biggest growth, some of our biggest adaptation, some of yeah. our biggest changes from the challenging times. And that's obviously what you've yeah. looked at in your life, you know, yeah. learning, growing, surging, moving forward. You mentioned your parents. Have there been other yeah. figures in your life that you look back and reflect and go, that that male, that female has had a big influence on me and my mindset and leadership and the way I think? Yeah, you know, I think there's been many people. I, um, I mean, I, you know, I have mentors that I turn to and um, from all over the world, from all, all different walks of life, and, and, and sometimes they don't know they're my mentors because I just call them up and ask for advice on something. But, but, I, I, but, uh, but I think, you, you know, it is your parents and your siblings and I think your peers earlier in life that do form a lot of that. And I was lucky. I had a you know, highly su successful parents in their life, and, but also always questioned. You know, they never accepted an answer as the given. And, uh, and so I always did go through life and have learning that I, I always challenge the status quo. Um, I never accept authority as the, as the final position. But I don't challenge it from a rebel point of view. I challenge it from it is it is at the final position and why, um, and I always and I always ask questions. And so I think that and so that creates it creates an inquisitive mind. And I think one of the things I left out at the beginning, from a business point of view, if you can have a business that can be inquisitive, and it's an interesting concept, then I think you ask the questions and you develop the creativity, looking for other avenues to generate revenue. Mm. Um, so I've always kind of had had that approach. So from a from a leadership point of view, I've I'm, a, I'm not a reader, um, but when I do read, it's only autobiographies. I love finding out about other people's lives. And, uh, and I've read many autobiographies and, can, and in any walks of life. Uh, the, the latest one I have read is The Happiest Man on Earth. And, uh, 
and it's a you know it's, that's a great attitude one if we think we're in tough times um so it, as long as we um you know it's 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 a whole learning and and I, I can get it from you just talking today and you know how you ask the questions what kind of questions you ask and what you're talking about you know in your position it's refreshing hearing some of the questions you ask some of the ways you pause and reflect uh, because I think sometimes people get into a position of power or they're running a business and they don't ask questions. It, it's the inquisitiveness of an eight or nine-year-old boy or girl. Why? 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 And and I think we sometimes stop asking that. And I think it's a beautiful skill to have as we move through life. But uh, talking to you, reading about you, you are very focused on developing others. You mentioned knowing you know, right. Federer from a 13 or 14-year-old and you've seen his yeah. career come through. And you, you take yeah. pride in seeing athletes come through, not just yeah. Australians but athletes around the world. But what do you do to nurture you? So you mentioned you get up in the morning and you get some fresh air, but I, I yeah. can only imagine. I, in fact, I can't imagine. But how do you put your oxygen mask on? Yeah, it's, I always like that analogy. You take care of yourself, but so you can take care of the others around you. Um, it's, you know, it's a, I mean, I don't, I, I don't really think, think about it much, um, but it's a, other than I just keep doing it. My general attitude is always, and I, and I think of leaders of business today, I think we should be switching from being a leader of a business to a coach of a business. And uh, it's a very different skill set and, uh, and learning to be a coach. And I've been lucky. I was a coach for a lot of my life. I ran a business as a coach and, and, uh, and a small business that grew. And we went from one facility to about 10 and, and uh, hired a lot of people. And, and, I, uh, and today in this particular environment, I've become a coach again. And I'm loving that. It's a complete privilege to be leading in this environment. And I'm loving it because I don't have all the answers. The only way I get them is from learning from the people around me. I've got a team that know a lot more than I do. And the moment I create a, a, a perception that I know more than them, I'm done. I love that. I studied sports coaching at university. I've worked with sporting teams for 15, 20 years. So you've just, like my interest level has peaked. Um, yeah. But for people listening to this who are running a business and they go, yeah, what, what does that mean? What, what does coaching mean? How do I have a coaching conversation with my team? What, what would be yeah. one or two skills you'd bring in to, to lead with more of a coaching style? Well, people forget you could be a one-person business. Your customers are out there waiting to be coached. They want to be coached about not only the offering that you can get, but you can do totally something different. I can call up someone randomly and I may be over here you know, trading on, on, on a product, but I'm a I could be calling up my 300 customers and just checking in, not talking about trading on the product, just checking in. And these are the ideas I have. Have you read this? Have you seen this? You know, and I, and I think that in essence, you are becoming a coach. That connecting you're making again right from the beginning of the conversation we had about the communication and the connection. So that's why I always encourage people to do it from a coaching perspective. You don't have to learn how to be a coach, but the first action you can take is connect. Initiate the connection and you don't even have to have a topic. People are just waiting on the other end to receive advice. Um, so, so I think that that would be the one, the one tip. And then I think the second tip in the coaching is that if you do have your staff around you, they need you more than you ever think you would, they would need you now. And, uh, and the conversation can have nothing to do with work, but connect again because those you'll be absolutely surprised how that changes. One thing I've actually learned during this period, at the beginning of this pandemic we forgot in our business about the one-on-one -on -one connection. I suddenly woke up one morning and realized that there's something missing. And I think it was that because now on our, on our senior managers, our managers, I'm putting it on them. Your responsibility is much more than delivering events and delivering our business. We run 300 events a year is the one-on-one -on -one connection with your teams. And uh, it's a lot of work that, but it's getting, it's a, it's a culture has been a, a completely cultural shift of, of confidence and, 
and security and comfort. Are you always this calm and considered and compassionate or do you do you lose your stack sometimes? If we asked no. your three kids, <laughs> like, yeah, when did dad last absolutely lose it and how did he handle himself in that situation? What would they say about your your coaching or leadership style at home? Oh, I, I wouldn't ask my kids because I give a warped view of it, I'm sure. But uh, no, I'm not... I, D- discipline disciplines coached so we, we do i mean our, our home is um uh, you know i like kids to make their bed in the morning and they think oh, you know, and simply because it's it's a task you know i like kids to you know put their clothes in their drawer and and that's a task and so i'll i'll, I'll get them to do that as part of my training for the kids and it's not an irrelevant exercise it's an exercise on having something that starts and finishes as a young kid so but i think in my from my uh, you're a product of your environment. Um, I'm very lucky to be living in Australia. You know, right now we're very lucky to have my family living in Australia. And I, I have a different perspective. I had to take the citizenship test. Most Australians haven't done that. Uh, so I had to learn about the history of Australia. And, uh, and I have a great deal of respect for it, uh, of, you know, from learning from it. And we've got the best medical system in the world. We've got the best governments in the world. We're the safest place to live. Um, and uh, we've got the best sporting environment in the world and the best out. I mean, there's so many things. And so what I'm trying to teach my kids not to take that for granted because they're very spoiled to be in this environment. So, so because of that, I think then I can flip to an attitude generally of, of uh, having more empathy about others around me. And that's why I get the one area where I do lose my patience. Um, there's, if um, anyone tries to take an advantage of anyone else for the benefit of themselves, I don't have any time for. It's a version of bullying. It's a version of prejudice. It's a version of discrimination. Um, and because anyone has, if anyone chooses any different lifestyle or they a different color of a different religion or whatever, it doesn't make them any different. And, uh, so that is one area where I don't have much patience for. And so you will find me get frustrated in those environments when that pops its head up. But, uh, other than that, I think I'm a pretty relaxed dude. Um, Craig, uh, three really things that have really resonated for me in this conversation. One is the how you were talking about learning um, from biographies. I actually have a collection of over a thousand biographies in three different languages. um, And I find it extraordinary how much we can learn from others' uh, experiences. The other is your uh, philosophy on raising kids. I recently had a conversation with Marty Cohen from Cohen Brown, and he said, rules, rules, responsibility, three key ways of of, um, raising kids. So, and the other one actually was around your uh, resilience uh, and uh, importance of adversity mm. to teach us lifelong lessons. I come from a refugee background, so yeah. that's something that um, uh, have personal connection to. So, when you kind of look at, uh, and you mentioned uh, previously, you, you're uh, around the age of uh, 50, you had this extraordinary experience where you've helped and contributed to the lives of so many different people. And um, you, you have this opportunity uh, at a global stage to influence. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Cool. That's a good question. Come work for you? I don't know. I just said, I, 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 it's a, it's a um, you know, I don't, I don't think much about the future in a sense for myself personally because I, I love, um, you know, I love what today brings and uh, I do live for today. And, uh, and then, because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You try and plan because you have a family of responsibility. I've, I've, the, my family are all the people that work for Tennis Australia that play the game and, and some are more distant to, some I'm closer to. So that's I take that personal responsibility each day uh, with that group. That's why protecting jobs is the absolute most important thing for, for our family, which is our tennis community. 
Um, and so I think that's my general approach to it. But I think any, you know, I, I've loved coaching. I've loved leading. It's, it's a form of coaching. It's a form of helping people. I've got a, a passion around uh, around um, advancing groups that don't have the same benefit as us and and opportunities as us. So, um, so I do I do have a, a love for that. So I will do something in that field. I'll do something that uh, I like. I mean, I, I'd love to become an advocate for our frontline working staff and uh, and and ensuring that they get the right treatment, the right pay, the right opportunities. Because I think historically that has been the case. The teaching community. I mean. I just think there's lots of things that need to change. And you mentioned one word, which, we, which is the first time it's been mentioned on this call, which I think is the most important one of the world we're living in today, and that's resilience. And and uh, the we're going to come out of this much better. I'm I, I've been telling people that COVID is not a disruptor; it's actually an accelerator. It's accelerating a great way forward for us, but we're going to have to deal with a lot of change. There's a there's a great divide in political in political opinions around the world, and there's a great upheaval in social injustices, and and uh, and I think and there's you know and I think these are things that are going to create challenges for us. So it's our attitude and our response to it and our resilience that's going to determine a great future for us. And we have a responsibility. You're a parent, Andrew. As I'm, many of your business leaders are they parents? They parents of their staff. They parents of their their customers. They parents maybe of their kids at home. We all, in a leadership role, leading a business, have a responsibility to ensure that it's better for the person that's coming behind us. And whether it be, whether it be, it's a long list of things because climate's in there too, and and you have people have different views on it. But at the end of the day, you know, if um, you know, if you if if you're not helping those around you, uh, you're going to lose. And creating that progress and kind of leaving sure. it better for the next generation than we found it ourselves. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard work. That it's hard work. It's a, it's a sacrifice you have to make. If you make a living, you've got to contribute. You know, if you've got some extra cash, you need to, you need to help. Uh, um, and NAB plays a massive role with its small businesses. It's beyond just providing financial opportunities. And you know what you've created here is is an intrinsic one. And that's in my view the, the monetary future into the future is in human capital. And uh, and that's why I'm so focused on the coaching element of it. And Craig. Um I am going to, of course, assume that you are going to continue to run the world's greatest event for many, many years to come. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I am going to assume it. Um, what is next for Tennis Australia? I mean, given that you've scaled such huge highs um, professionally, where do you take this wonderful well, organization forward? Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I don't think we, we haven't started, and that's why I'm really excited. We've, diversi- we've diversified uh, our business. Um, we now, you know, we had an incubator. We've got 12 startups. We've invested in those. We're launching a venture capital fund. We've bought back all of our production. We did world gymnastics championships, and so now we're doing more things than tennis. Everything you see on TV, that's our young people. We've got 19, 20, 20-year-olds that we hire. They produce that. This is magnificent. Uh, we provide jobs. We've 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 got nine offices globally now. Uh, we have investments in in um, in other events outside of Australia. Uh, we've invested in in technical uh, technology sorry in technologies that will hopefully give us a big upside. Um, so we've we've we're now diversifying into food. We're going to become a food business. We diversify into music. We partner into music business. So this is exciting, you know. We happen to also be a sporting organization, but we're now growing to, into an entertainment conglomerate. And, and COVID 
not we're not forgetting tennis. We're not forgetting tennis. Tennis is at the core of it, but COVID's providing us that even accelerated opportunity to to move on these things. So I'm absolutely excited. I think we've got a great workforce, a great team, and we'll be hiring. We, we've been hiring, as you know, um, and we'll we'll continue to hire into the future because we're growing and and um, and we'll take risks. Uh, and that's the approach I have. And if I have a board that doesn't like that, then I'll have to find a CEO that gives them something else. But I've got a board that does like that, so it's really helpful right now. Look, it's so many lessons today about communication, coaching, collaboration. I love the contact three people. And I think that's a message every small business owner, every big business owner, in fact, everyone listening to this can do. Craig, thank you for your time. And can I thank you for your authenticity, for your compassion, and just for the presence that you turned up today. So you turned up like this was a big match and you gave it everything. So I'm humbled to have spent this last hour with you. No, well, thank you. And thanks for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Stay well. Thank you. Hi again, it's Andrew. And I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence Podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite or purchasing one of the books I've written, including Matchfit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM Edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com and we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.